Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. need to know that there's only one true and living God and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. You know, if we get that into our brains, that there truly is only one God, He is all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient in all things. If we really get that in our brain, then we shouldn't live in fear. In today's message, Pastor David teaches about the pressures the Corinthian Christians had in their church. In their culture, pagan religion was everywhere, and in the church, Jewish believers were insisting upon religious rituals to be saved. Today, we may face pressures from the world around us, or even within the church. Life in Jesus Christ, however, brings freedom from sin and rules or rituals. And that freedom brings life to ourselves and others around us. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Meals That Stumble. Probably every one of you, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've experienced what uh, you might call spiritual one-upsmanship, okay? Somebody that comes along and they just seem to kind of have the attitude that they are a little bit more spiritual than everybody else. They're just a little bit higher up on the notch to heaven than anybody. That's not because they're older. That's just because they feel that they're that much more spiritual than someone else. One of the problems that they had in Corinth, and we are in the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the problems that they had in Corinth was this whole idea, not only of the divisions and the cliques and the separateness, but there was this uh, spiritual one-upsmanship that was going on, that they, again, would uh, literally look down at each other and uh, place themselves up higher, a little bit closer to God than those other guys, because, well, you know those other guys. Of course, we're a little bit spirit, more spiritual than them. As I shared with you as part of the introduction to 1 Corinthians, uh, they were surrounded with this overwhelming presence of that pagan society, that whole culture that just permeated everything that was there. It was, it was part of nearly every aspect of the Corinthian life, their, their morals, their business, their families, and in particularly, even their worship in particular. We speak of uh, some communities having a, a church on every corner. Well, in 
Corinth, it was like a pagan worship center just about on every corner. Not only did they have that, but most of the businesses themselves, just simply in an effort to gain uh, the blessings of these pagan gods, they'd have little shrines or they would have these pagan deity uh, altars in the businesses. Now, if you lived in Corinth, you couldn't escape that impact in your life because everywhere you turned was this pagan influence and this draw to be worshiping this particular pagan god or another or a multitude of them, as the case might be. And this is what you grew up in. This is what you lived in. This is what you faced every day of your life. And I want you to get that very clear in your heart and mind because as a Christian, they had to learn how to live as believers in the world, but yet separate apart from the world. Several years prior to the writing of 1 Corinthians, indeed even prior to the birth of the church at Corinth, there was this major church meeting that took place in Jerusalem. The meeting took place as a result of the fact that with the spreading of the gospel outside of Jewish Jerusalem and Jewish Judea, it was now growing and expanding to include Gentile believers out beyond that region particularly in these places of these pagan cities with all of their culture and all of their, just the weirdness and the strangeness of their worship. Paul and Barnabas had been ministering on one of the missionary journeys in an area that we now know as Turkey, regions of Asia Minor. They, they shared the hope of the gospel to cities such as uh, the island of Cyprus, Cappadocia, Galatia, Phrygia, Cilicia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Antioch. And it was while they were ministering in Antioch that certain Jewish believers came in and they started stirring up trouble with these new Gentile converts. So you got Jews who had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as their Messiah, and they hear about all these Gentiles that are coming to Christ. This is going to mess the whole thing up. They're a bunch of Gentiles. And so what they do is they come to them and they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, that's a pretty heavy trip, especially to place on an adult male Gentile, okay? Just leave it at that. But it's much more than just the physical circumcision. What they were doing was calling for them to be obedient and fall under the law, the rule, the rituals, and the customs of Judaism in order to truly be saved. You can't really be a Christian until you're first a Jew. Well, Acts 15 as a matter of fact, keep your place in 1 Corinthians. We're, we're in chapter 8 right now of 1 Corinthians. But turn to Acts 15. We're going to be in there for just a little bit to kind of give you a little bit of background of where we're going this evening. In Acts 15, we read about this great dissension that took place, again, as Paul and Barnabas stood against these Jewish believers because of their continual attack against the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 15, verse 2, we read that they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this whole question of having to be a Jew before you can become a Christian. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 15, we read, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. 
And they reported all the things that God had done with them. So they were sharing out, man, we went out to these cities, these pagan cultures. We began sharing the hope of the gospel, sharing the hope of faith in Christ, the reality and the truth that God took upon himself human flesh. The one true God, by the way, you have all these other gods that you guys worship, but the one true God took upon himself human flesh. And again, he gave his life for you for whosoever would call upon his name. And men and women of these pagan cultures, they were coming to Christ, and and the church was growing just powerfully. And of course, the Jews were jealous about that. So as Paul and Barnabas and the others explained to the what's called the Jerusalem Council there in Acts chapter 15 about all the things that were happening, about the growth of the church within the Jewish cult or within the Gentile cultures, well, that's when the fight started right there. Acts 15, verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Do you catch the irony of that? The sect of the Pharisees, now what were the Pharisees? These were the guys that held so strictly to the Jewish law. I mean, they wouldn't break the Jewish law for anything. They would go, I mean, great extremes to keep the Jewish law. And now they're believers, And they're having a really hard time letting go of the law and the rules and the regs and the rituals and the customs of Judaism in order to walk in the freedom that's found in Christ. Well, they rose up saying it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. After all, that's when you'll be really spiritual, when you're living the way I live. And isn't that really the case a lot of times with a spiritual one-upsmanship? The only time that you're really going to be spiritual is when you meet up to my level. Now, I think my level is really great. Why? Because that's the level I live in. And so everybody below my level, they've got problems. You need to be built up to my level. And hey, I'm not just saying my level. That's for any of us. Any that have that spiritual one-upsmanship idea. If you're not doing what I'm doing, you're doing it wrong. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. That's the mindset of those that have that spiritual one-upsmanship. So the sect of the Pharisees, they bring all this. Man, they got to be circumcised. they got to keep the law of Moses. Then in verse 6, still in Acts 15, it says, Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, You know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember when Peter went and witnessed to Cornelius and Cornelius and all of his household came to faith. Verse 8, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. Now therefore... Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? In other words, you're telling them to keep the law. Our fathers couldn't keep the law. We can't even keep the law. So why are you going to lay it on the Gentiles who have never, ever lived under the law and expect them to be able to keep it? Then verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13, 
After they had become silent, then James, and this is James, the uh, half-brother of the Lord Jesus. James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, Simon Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the temple of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that, what? The rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Verse 18, known to God through eternity are all of his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So here, they finally determined through, through James's leading that again, they, they, they wouldn't place the Jewish law or the customs upon these new converts, especially since nearly all of them were totally ignorant of the law of Moses. It's one thing if you're raised in a Jewish family and you begin at a very young age learning the Torah until you finally hit your bar mitzvah when you become a a student of the Torah, a student of the law, and and then you go on and grow from there. But these Gentiles had never, ever been a part of this at all. And so they determined, we're we're not going to lay that on them. Their faith, a a commitment to Jesus Christ, that was going to be enough. Then they gave them just four simple areas to kind of help guard them and to guard their heart from all the things of the world and the culture that they lived in. They said, abstain from the things polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from things strangled, abstain from blood. It's interesting, these are the very same areas of concern that the church in Corinth was dealing with. The present pagan worship centers incorporated nearly all of these in a process of their worship. And so with that as a background, now let's go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul begins this section by addressing something that apparently had previously been dealt with or either through a conversation or through writings of some way. He's dealing with this idea of food that's being offered to idols. Now, one other area of background information just to kind of help explain the, the situation here in Corinth as well as these other Gentile cities. In the midst of all of these pagan ceremonies, there were animal sacrifices that happened on a continual basis. In some of these ceremonies, the animals were actually killed by strangulation. Other times, the animals, their, their throats were slit. There were other times, actually, that they harvested the internal organs of the animal while the animal was still alive. Just some really gross things that were going on in this pagan culture. Then following the death of the animal, they would go ahead and offer it on the the flames of the altar, either the whole animal or part of the animal. And any of the meat that was left over, they'd be offered to these pagan priests. And any meat that was left over from what the priests would use, then that would go out on the open market to sell. Because again, on these big feet, 
feast days. They'd have so much meat uh, available from all of these sacrifices. They didn't have big freezers. They didn't even have refrigerators. So you got what you could use in a fairly quick way, and, and the rest of it they would sell and make the money from it. So that's kind of what was going on. The people of Corinth, they grew up in that. They, they lived in, and many of them even practiced in, these same pagan cultures. Uh, those that lived there, they would, they would know exactly when they went to the meat market where that porterhouse or where that tenderloin came from. That came from the pagan worship center over there, and they understood that. So now, getting into 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, now concerning those things offered to idols, we know that we ha- all have knowledge, and knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. First of all, Paul deals with this whole idea of one person or or group of people that they feel that uh, they're the ones that are in tune with God much more than anybody else. He says, look, we all have knowledge. But you know what? Your knowledge is puffing you up. You're not walking in love because love would be edifying one another. No, in your knowledge, you're causing this division. You're causing these troubles within the body of Christ. And so, again, he deals with him in this situation. And again, within the context, what he wants him to know is, no, you really know, you really need to know or understand the mind of God rather than having this ego-driven spiritual one-upsmanship going on. And in essence, what Paul is telling him here is that they think that they're so tight with God, then why aren't they demonstrating the spirit of God through their love for one another, their encouragement to one another, their assisting to one another, rather than dividing themselves apart from one another. They continue to fight. They devour one another. Even in, the, even in this very area, this whole idea of eating the meat. In essence, what Paul is saying You think you're all that and you know all this stuff, but really, you don't know really where you really ought to be and what you ought to know. He's really kind of cleaning the clock of those there in Corinth, those that are trying to judge others. He continues on in verse four. He says, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, he's speaking of the names and these uh, false gods that people speak about. He says, yet for us, there's one God, the father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. What he's telling them here is the simple fact that the gods of these pagans that they're worshiping, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. They have these big shrines, they have these big ceremonies, all of this ritual, and it's to absolutely nothing. As we read elsewhere in the scripture, both Old Testament and New, they've, they've carved, they've made these little idols with their own hands. They bow down and worship them. They, they believe that they are something, but they're absolutely nothing. As believers, 
You and I, as well as the church of Corinth, but you and I even today, we need to know that there's only one true and living God and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. You know, if we get that into our brains, that there truly is only one God, he is all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient in all things. If we really get that in our brain, then we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't worry at all. But you know what? We start shrinking back and suddenly in our actions, in our, in our minds, our God's not quite as powerful as perhaps he used to be or as he should be because now I'm stressing and I'm worrying about this situation rather than just saying, well, Lord, you're in charge of this. I'm gonna surrender this into your hand. There's nothing that I can deal with it. You are the one true God. Why do we get all bent out of shape over these situations that happen? Why do we get all bent out of shape out of foreign or or these pagan deities and the way that people worship them? They simply don't know anything else at this point in time in their life. They're worshiping this over there, but they have no clue. We look at the false religions of today and we could go from everything to those who are perhaps even consider themselves to be Christian or Bible-believing, and yet they're so far off base from what the true hope and the the promise of the gospel is because they are either bound by the law or they're bound by false doctrine. Beloved, the, the problem is is most of them don't know anything else. That's why you and I need to be the living truth right before them. That's why you and I are called to be the light of the world. That's why you and I are called to be salt in this world. That's why you and I are called to be the light on the hill, shining in the darkness that's all around us. Because people are going to hell very sincere in their faith, very devout in their belief. The problem is, is their faith is in the wrong thing. Their belief is totally off base. They need to know the truth. And if you and I know the truth, then we need to be those who are also the purveyors of truth, the declarers of truth to a lost and dying world that's around us. They don't know anything else. Their deity, their religion, has absolutely no power. What that Jerusalem council had advised them against was because of the weakness of the flesh. You know, those things, hey, you know, don't, the stuff uh, given to idols, uh, the blood, the sexual immorality. He says, that's going to battle against your flesh. So you need to stay away from those things. Those things were part of their past experience in their pagan worship. And yet many of those that were converted as Gentiles, they had to continue to grow in their faith to the point that the pagan gods and their practices meant absolutely nothing to them. Believe me, if you just come out of some of these pagan things, you are feeling, well, I'm going to leave this God and I'm going to go and worship this God. For many of them, it took them quite a while to understand what I'm leaving is nothing. I'm leaving something empty. I'm leaving something powerless. And I'm going to the one who is all in all, the one who is all powerful. And for a lot of them, particularly as young believers, they really struggled with what they thought was the power of that deity that they used to worship. And it was a battle for them. They had to be completely set free from any of that drawback into the old worship practices. And so it's pretty easy to understand why some of the believers at Corinth 
again, did not want to have anything to do with that food that was dedicated to these idols. Again, uh, man, that's dangerous. I I know what that's done there. And then others said, I don't care. That's a pretty good-looking ribeye right there. I think I'll have that for dinner tonight because they knew that idol is insignificant. It's nothing. As we conclude our time here today on The Open Word, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 1 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us again on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the open word with you on the go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching the open word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical-based teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at theopenword.com, be sure to click on about for information about the ministry of the open word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is theopenword.com. That's all the time we have for today here on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a blessed day.